This is an ABC podcast. If you find one of these men attractive, you have daddy issues. My dad was addicted to coke and he forgot my whole childhood. Yeah! Put a finger down, mommy issues edition. My dad doesn't acknowledge me and I live in his household. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you have mother issues? What do you think of when you hear daddy or mummy issues? The terms have been around forever, but what do they actually even mean? I've been seeing a lot of people talking about them on TikTok lately, and they're kind of being used as a way to describe either a traumatic or shit relationship with a parent. But is that right? And what about with sex? If you like calling someone daddy in the bedroom, is that daddy issues too? What if you're dating someone way older than you? Is that some sort of like Freudian shit where you're trying to date your mom or your dad? Okay, so do you see what I mean? It's it's pretty confusing. Hey, Dee Salmon here, producer of The Hookup, filling in for Nat Tenchich on this episode, and I'm going to find out exactly what it means to have daddy or mommy issues and how to deal if stuff from your childhood is impacting your relationships now. So obviously here at The Hookup, we love to answer any and all of your questions. Um, you can get in touch on our Instagram at Triple J The Hookup. Send us a message there. And if you're not already following us, definitely go hit that blue button. Uh, well, this week we got a DM from Tessa with the title Daddy Issues and Dating. In the message, Tessa said that her dad left her when she was 12 years old and she's starting to notice that it's impacting the kind of guys that she goes for now. She picks potential partners who she knows are bad for her or that she knows they're probably going to leave eventually. So to find out a bit more about what was going on here, I jumped on Zoom and had a chat to Tessa. So I was seeing this guy for a few weeks and he was really stable and genuinely wanted to hang out with me and I knew what to expect and he was genuinely interested in me and told me he could see a future with me and at first I was fully into it like yeah I'm so happy oh my god this is amazing and then I just like freaked out and like self-sabotaged like completely and just convinced myself that he was boring or like picked out little things about him why it wouldn't work and was just like oh no I can't do this like I'm not ready for this you're really lovely, but I'm sorry, like, I just can't do this. It's like my brain turned myself, like, off him for no reason. Would you say this is, like, a similar pattern for you? What's your, because you're 27 now, what's your relationship history like with other people? Yeah, so I feel like when I was younger, I didn't really, like, put my daddy issues and like my relationship issues hand in hand I had a boyfriend when I was at uni when I was 20 we dated for about a year and that was fine um then was single for a bit and I had my fun (laughs) that was that was great and then I did have a boyfriend um for about a year and that was really kind of a fast heavy moving relationship so it's again those same patterns I think of what I'm used to as a child is that they're going and they're coming back and that love's not consistent and it's kind of like that game playing even though we were together our relationship was really up and down and I felt like I had to fight for his love and attention quite a lot and to me that was exciting and every time he came back I was like see he does love me he does really like me and then after we broke up like we I broke up with him because we were just getting too toxic for each other and bringing out the worst in each other and going this isn't a healthy relationship anymore we need to grow separately broke up and then um yeah 
we um, would speak on and off and then whenever our messages went green to each other, we would just expect that one of us was seeing another person and would respect that and go, okay, yep, no, that's fine, I'll respect that. And my messages went green and I was like, oh, he must just be seeing someone else, okay. And it wasn't until I saw an ad for The Bachelorette and he was on it. Yeah, so (laughs) that really triggered a lot of my daddy issues, obviously, because it was just like I felt everything again, like I couldn't trust him. What have I done? Why has he done this? But he's allowed to do this. It's good for him. And it was just so chaotic in my mind and questioning everything about myself again. And I think at that point, that's when I knew he was never coming back. And is that something that happened with your dad? Tell me about your relationship there. Yeah, so I had a happy, healthy childhood, middle-class family. My dad um, had depression pretty badly, so he suffered from that. And when I was in year seven, so I was 12, my parents separated. So I haven't seen him since, um, and I'm now 27. And, yeah, it's being a roller coaster because my early 20s I never wanted to accept that I have daddy issues because it's people make jokes and dudes are like oh she's easy she's got daddy issues you can just fuck her and leave her like that kind of stuff so I was so adamant that I don't and I'm okay and there's no such thing but now that I'm in my later 20s and relationships become so much more serious I'm going hold on I actually do have daddy issues And then more recently in my later 20s, I've developed a thing for military men because they're going to leave and it won't be my fault and they're not going to reject me. It's going to be, oh, you're moving. Okay, this isn't going to work out. See ya. But I guess there's that little bit of hope in me that it will work out and they'll pick me to go with them. But that's that's not going to happen. So Uh. it's still picking men who aren't emotionally available the unattainable men is like my dream (laughs) which it shouldn't be yeah tell me a little bit about that hope that you feel because in the message you sent us on instagram you said i still really really want a happy and fulfilling relationship yeah like i get really sad about it really really sad and i live alone and I'm 27, (laughs) and seeing a majority of my high school friends in happy, fulfilling relationships. And I'm going, okay, yeah, I I really want that. And it's hard to reflect and go, okay, well, why don't I have that? And then you go, oh, I'm picking potential partners that don't have the capacity to give me that. Why am I still holding on to that? I guess what I need help with is how to push myself past the like three weeks into relationship or seeing someone where I start to get bored and I start to freak out. I need help with how to manage those feelings of talking myself out of it, the self-sabotaging, and I guess identifying, okay, what's a happy and healthy relationship? Okay, so if you're listening and you're like, oh my God, I can completely relate to what Tess is going through, or maybe, you know, you didn't have any issues with your parents, but you do kind of pick the wrong people, don't worry. We're going to get some help from a psych in just a sec and learn exactly how to change our dating patterns. But first, I want to get into something that Tess has spoke about. 
She said that guys used the term quote-unquote daddy issues as a way to shame her and think of her as an easy route. And I think that really highlights the cultural conversation around these terms. It seems to be one that especially impacts girls and women. Dr. Lauren Rosewarn is an associate professor from the University of Melbourne and studies gender, sexuality and popular culture. So she knows a thing or two about what's going on here. And she says the phrase daddy issues is usually used in a negative light when talking about girls and women. I think there is some stigma attached to the idea that a woman is somewhat damaged or broken based upon her relationships with men and therefore she's more likely to participate in uh, indiscriminate sex or companionship with men based upon the damage that she's endured and therefore that somehow makes her easy and promiscuous. And so there's layers of judgment there based upon this perception that she has somewhat been damaged or somehow been damaged. Where does that come from? What is the cultural conversation that's been happening around daddy or mummy issues? Uh, look, it's it, it's multifaceted. I think a big portion of it is that historically women's values have been connected to uh, their relationships with men. And a man, you know, a father who sticks by his family, he's chosen to be with them, his children are worthwhile, uh, they're not disposable. So there's this perception, obviously layers of wrong here, I'm not in any respect endorsing this, but there's elements there of if a woman gets chosen be it by her father or by the boyfriend, et cetera, she's worthwhile. A woman who, or a girl who is rejected by her father or rejected by partners, that she's considered not good enough to keep. And I think that that idea of uh, self-esteem and self-worth, but also just cultural worth being attached to uh, how much men want her, how much they've stuck with her being part of her value, I think is still a legacy of part of those old uh, notions of, of, of gender but also of women as sort of chattel and um, something sort of passed from father to to the husband. Five, someone says, and the mummy issues, question mark, question mark. So what's the conversation that we've been having around mummy issues and, and why is it so gendered? Like why does daddy issues get such a bad rep? Okay, so daddy issues is because the the idea at the heart of it is that there's something broken in the girl or the woman at the end of the story. Now, mummy issues are a little bit different because culturally women still vie for the attentions of men. So even if that man has mummy issues, right, if he's still considered culturally valuable, you know, now that could be in any number of reasons, if he's good looking, if he's got a lot of resources financially, whatever, women will still compete for his affections. And they'll, yes, they'll create criticise the mummy issues, but he's still got cultural cachet in a society that still has disproportionate value on men and still have women competing for men's affection. Now, obviously, we're more savvy about critiquing that, but at the same token, we have many television shows that focus on that idea of women competing for the affections of men. Therefore, even if we can see it happening, even if we know, ugh, that's, you know, gross and surely we're past that, it's still a really resonant cultural idea, you know, that idea of women having to do stuff to make men notice us and do stuff to get him to stay and to pick us, talking about this idea of sort of pick me girls. And this is very much a very potent idea, even if we're getting more savvy about uh, gender issues. So yes, boys who or men who have mummy issues, of course, it's still a thing, but it's not as much of a character indictment on him in the way that daddy issues sometimes come 
comes to uh, frame women. Equally, there's not the same connotations of promiscuity or exploitability with men with mummy issues. It doesn't mean the same thing in our society. It's not the sort of opposite side of the same coin. Um, Lauren, I'm curious about the sexualizing of the term daddy. Like what, where does daddy issues play into people using it in the bedroom and why is it so widely used in a media and pop culture sense? Yeah, and that's where I started the conversation in terms of mentioning I'm not sure what we all mean when we use daddy issues because the caller or the person who'd contacted you that sort of instigated this story, her perception was clearly what I'd call abandonment issues, right? I wouldn't be branding them as daddy issues so much as abandonment issues, you know, the idea of what's the consequence of having an important figure in your life leave you and therefore self-sabotaging other relationships you leave before they leave you kind of thing. But culturally we take we seem to like daddy issues as though it means everything. And partly my confusion or at least my hesitancy in using the word is because it's also got sexual connotations and that's where, you know, and that's not just a heterosexual, you know, there's there's a strong use of the same term, um, you know, in, in queer culture as well. This idea that the daddy figure is, you know, a kind of a shortcut to a dominant figure in the bedroom. Now that's interesting because it's got the weight of the sort of patriarch that exists in culture in the sense of, you know, the more powerful figure in the bedroom, but taking on this role of a dominant force in a sexual sense. But then sometimes, not always, but sometimes it can also stir in that idea of that sexualizing of incest notion where, um, you know, and this isn't a, a new thing, but, you know, the MILF phenomena is exactly the same thing where we kind of sexualize the idea of a older man or, or an older person in that range or even just a more powerful figure being the daddy to us, being the um, disciplinarian, being the person in control, because that's both sexy, but also transgressive and a taboo. Also, there's elements there, you know, potentially of gift giving and the kind of, you know, benevolent daddy that might be something you've idealised, you know, like kind of a daddy warbucks um, from Annie type figure as well. Yeah, so then maybe it's about changing the way that we use those terms, like you've been saying. It's a very, they're very broad terms that are kind of just chucked around by people a lot of the time, like you said, to talk about attachment issues um, that come from parents. So how can we change the conversation, you know, when people like Tessa are like, oh, I think I have daddy issues, or people on TikTok are like, ah, oh, I'm having all these issues, got to get daddy issues. Yeah, how can well, we, how can we change it- that? it's really important for us not to pretend that we're psychologists. (laughs) And I think there's this cultural tendency that you pick up words from, you know, be it magazines or online that have their roots in psychology and kind of cobble together an understanding of it as though, oh, yeah, I mean, I can diagnose my friends or myself really, really easily, as opposed to understanding, in fact, one attribute, you might have had an awful experience with your father, he may have left you when you were 12, like Tessa, and that's horrible. But to attribute every single relationship calamity that happens in the 20 years following, that's really reductive. It's really pretending that one event in your life is responsible for everything and it really uh, takes away individual power to change your destiny. It's also almost quite fatalistic that because this happened my entire relationship trajectory is going to be a disaster. And I think also just the idea of stepping away from using these terms casually ourselves because underlying them is not only just sort of 
crummy pop psychology stuff that a lot of people don't really understand, but it's also really, really simplifying someone's identity to basically centering only on one of the worst things that's ever happened to them as though that then is revealing about their true essence. And I think in most people's cases, that's going to be incorrect. Okay, so if you look up the hashtags, hashtag daddy issues and hashtag mummy issues on TikTok, a lot of these videos are exactly what Lauren is talking about. There are people on there making way too many psychological statements for someone who probably doesn't have a psychology degree. Put a finger down, mommy issues edition. Put a finger down if you're obsessed with your body image or super insecure about your body. So let's meet some very experienced, very real experts to give us the proper diagnosis. Here's psychotherapist Dr. Zoe Krupka explaining what the terms daddy and mummy issues actually mean. Look, to me, I think it's a really kind of um, heteronormative and punitive way to kind of blame the kid for what happened to them when they were growing up. You know, you don't have daddy issues or mummy issues. You were abandoned or you were neglected or you were hurt in some way. So I think it's it's a way to kind of especially make young women responsible for, in this case, the uh, abandonment of their fathers. Are the terms Freudian? Like, I keep seeing a few things online that it's like a Freudian concept. Yeah, I think so. I think that was, you know, the origin of um, Oedipus complex was, you know, that was the way I suppose they made fun or kind of criticized Freud's work was to reduce it to this idea of having daddy issues. But now I think we kind of make the mistake that it's about younger women and older men. And it never was, not even in Freudian times. Yeah, that's something that in like culturally and pop um, culture and media that if a young girl is dating an older dude, it's always like, oh, she's got daddy issues. But there's actually been research um, done on this and it has nothing to do with attachment issues, right? No, it doesn't. You can have attachment issues and be, you know, they can be with younger, they can be with older people. It really, it's not about gender and it's not about age. It's really about somebody who pushes the same buttons as, you know, your most difficult parent. When I was doing a bit of digging, doing a bit of research online, I read a quote that said, if you're human, you have daddy issues and you have mommy issues. It's just a given. We've all got them. And uh, yeah, Zoe says that's pretty much true. Yeah, look, everybody has some kind of attachment wound. Like, I think we mistake Uh, attachment just for being, you know, about trauma, for instance, or Tessa's story, when really the numbers are really dodgy. The, the, The research about how much is really not very trustworthy. But, you know, most people will have things, you know, for instance, a a parent was ill when they were tiny, or maybe they had a sibling who had really high needs or a sibling who was ill. And so there was an element of kind of neglect there. Maybe they were ill as children. So, you know, the the stats are around, you know, 50 to 60 percent are secure and the rest is kind of are distributed in other categories. But again, it's it's not the most solid uh, data. I want to know about the gender difference. So 
you know, if we throw away the terms daddy and mummy issues completely and we look at attachment issues when it comes to parents, if you do have heterosexual parents, is there a gender difference when it comes to, say, for example, like your dad uh, leaving or your mum leaving? No, I don't think we see a, a gender difference, but what we see is a kind of a, a, a social difference in the roles of parents. So, you know, in Tessa's case, she talks about her father leaving, um, and that may have had a really significant impact, not just on her, but on her mother or her remaining parent. And that kind of lack of support may have been longstanding. And that's, you know, a really common gender divide. Okay, so when Tessa spoke about her dad leaving, to her it was a way to link back to an exact moment that she can use as a way to describe her abandonment issues. You know, when she was 12 years old, her dad left. But Zoe says that pattern of choosing shitty guys and guys she knows will leave her would have been created way before her dad left because attachment issues are formed when we're pretty much babies. Usually a pattern like that will have started a long time before. She may have had lots of experiences of being abandoned in some way by her father or of her mother being abandoned by her father really, really early. But also that time of 12, here she is kind of pubescent or pre, pre-puberty or maybe she's hit puberty as well. And that's a very kind of um, emotionally imprinting time. It's a really important time in, in a lot of kids' lives. And that would would have been an enormous, significant wound to lose her father at that time. But I guess that if it's really set up this kind of lifelong dating pattern, there will have been other things before then as well. Oh, and by the way, if you don't know what attachment style means, in a very, very brief summary, your attachment style is created when you're little and it's basically formed from our relationships with our parents or our earliest caregivers. And as an adult, you'll either have a secure attachment style or an insecure attachment style and it'll impact what you're like in relationships. Here's Zoe with a better explanation. So we've got, you know, secure. And if I'm secure, I can uh, regulate my feelings. You know, I've got a a reasonable stress response because that's part of attachment as well. If I'm anxious, I pursue closeness more. And I really worry about whether people care about me and whether they'll stay around. And if I'm avoidant, I'm still actually anxious I'm just more worried about closeness and I worry that I'll be engulfed in a relationship. These are the people that we say have commitment issues and I'll often pull away in arguments when I get overwhelmed. And often, of course, you see those two kinds of people getting into relationships with each other. All right, so going back to Tessa, is there any way that she can break this pattern, heal and date better people? Psychologist Dr. Stephen Andrews says, absolutely. One of the best ways of dealing with this, and this is what I say to Tessa is, and I think she started to do this, is start to tell the story of her relational life. Try and find somebody to talk to who has the qualities of what we would call secure attachment. This is somebody who is warm, who is present, who is attentive, who is empathic. And as these stories come out, and these are stories of mum, stories of dad, these are stories of other partners and close friends, there will be a pattern here. 
Uh, I think Tess has already um, suggested that there has been a pattern here in terms of her romantic relationships. And to have those stories told with an eye for and an ear for the patterns that emerge from them. And that can be really, really profoundly changing to be held uh, metaphorically in that space and have those stories told and heard. That, to me, is the best way of beginning to unpick this and reprogram, if you will, your relational story. The good news is for, for Tessa is that it is possible to change one's style. I mean, it is, uh, it's a good word to use, the, the word style, because just as you can change your fashion style, you can change your attachment style. Unfortunately, it's not as quick as changing uh, next season's fashion. It's a, it's a process that, that can take some time and it takes a relationship or relationships a little bit similar to the ones I described before preferably with someone who has a secure attachment style, who can listen to you and really hold that space and not abandon you. Zoe says it's not just all about the people you pick. There's a lot that you can do to change on your own. People with avoidant attachment styles need to learn to, to become more comfortable feeling and with the feelings of other people. And people with anxious attachment styles need to learn to be more comfortable calming their emotions. So a lot of this is work that we do on our own to regulate our emotions or to so have more. You're talking about self-soothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So soothing yourself and also being able to be present for another person emotionally. This is work you can do on your own. If a lot of this chat about parents and patterns has made you be a bit like, holy shit, okay, I've probably got a bit of self-reflecting to do. And you want to find out more about your attachment style? Well, Stephen says there's heaps of ways you can find out more. There's some, some really good literature out there. There mm. are some fairly simple tests tests you can take on the internet to, to find out where you are on that continuum. You, it's, I think it's important to keep in mind that these are not hard and fast um, categories, that there is possibly possibility of movement along those. To really reflect back, look at diaries, look at your own reflections on your historical relational patterns. Who was my first partner? Who was my first crush? Who are my good friends? Do and I always leave? Do, do I, I always get left? left? Yes, yeah. that, that's an interesting one to follow in terms of attachment because it's often the, um, the anxious people who get left and the avoidant ones, obviously, who leave. They're out of there quickly, just as, as, uh, as Tess's situation points to. So talking to very good friends about this, talking to a therapist about this, the self-help literature, there is a number of things that one can do to help bring this to consciousness, to become clearer about this. This is all about love. This is all about our quest. I, I put it as our quest for unconditional love. And we get most of the time conditional love when we're growing up. And we have an organic desire to be loved for who we are, not for what we do or what we achieve. And so it is in intimate relationships too. Okay, I'm not crying, you're crying. But also, I do really want to say that everyone's situation is different. Everyone's relationship with their caregivers or their parents is different. But I do hope that this episode really shows us how much we are all just really doing the best that we can from what we've learned. You know? Oh, and like Lauren said, 
Let's trash the terms daddy and mummy issues. We're walking attachment issues now. A big shout out to Tessa for this one, for being so open and and happy to share her story with us. And of course, we'd love to help you as well. If you have a similar story or just any sex relationships or love dilemma that you need help with, you can also DM us on Instagram at Triple J The Hookup, or you can hit us on an email at thehookup at abc.net.au. I'll catch you next time.